the uh, third I am statement that we're looking at tonight by Jesus is actually the one where he says that I am the resurrection and the life. Um, we, of course, made this decision before we knew about Mike's passing this week, um, but it has definitely helped give perspective and helped give some encouragement um, afresh to, to a situation that, that is a cause for grief. But I love it that the Bible says that we can grieve like those who have hope. And so it is healthy to grieve, as we'll see in a moment, um, but it is also really important that we grieve with hope. It's not hopeless. Um, we have uh, resurrection uh, life promised to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at that in a moment. Just to give you a quick little recap, if you're visiting with us for the first time, this series, Magnificent Seven, is um, basically taking a look at the seven significant I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. Um, They are meaningful, they are significant, and they are statements that Jesus made about himself, and each one of them have implications, they have ramifications. And so even this one that we're looking at tonight, I'm going to warn you right up front, just, just so you don't switch off. And if you're on your phone, I hope it's because you're on new version. God help you if you're not. No, I'm joking. I'm not joking. Okay. So, so, so what I want you to kind of try and pay attention to and tune into is that when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, last week we spoke about how he is the bread of life. Okay. Thank you. Um, uh, there is actually so much life that he offers to us. In fact, there's another I am statement that we'll look at at another point where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus offers life, 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 and then more life. And so even this idea of resurrection, I don't want you just to think in the sense of something that is eternal, which is a big deal. It is significant. It's amazing to believe that the moment Mike left his body this side of eternity, he went into the presence of God. So that's a big deal, and I think we should be encouraged by that. But Jesus doesn't just say that I will resurrect you. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, words, we can actually experience that resurrection power in our lives daily if we will journey with him. And so I want to take a look at at a few areas um, or examples of how God is actually wanting to breathe that resurrection power into us. So let's take a look at John chapter 11, reading from verse 1. Anyone ever heard about Lazarus, the guy that... Okay, spoiler alert, Jesus raised him from the dead, but that's okay. That's not the real emphasis of the story. So starting in verse 1, it says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your friend is very sick. So they're very close with Jesus, right? They They are good friends. They've done life together. They, they know each other well. Um, their brother falls ill. And of course, they have this direct line to Jesus, who they have seen perform miracle after miracle before. So they know that, that God the Father um, does stuff through Jesus. So they, they reach out to him. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man will receive glory from this. So although, and I want you to pay attention to this, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. 
I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where it has been a source of confusion and even pain when it doesn't feel like Jesus is turning up when I need him to turn up. Verse 7, finally said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, verse 17, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Can you imagine the, the sense of disappointment? Just, just for a moment. You see, for us, um, reading the story in the 21st century, especially if you, if you are familiar with it, it's, it's hard to kind of imagine the actual emotion and, and the actual, um, uh, yeah, the, 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 the tension, the disappointment, the frustration, because we know the end of the story. But can you imagine being Jesus' friends, being Mary and Martha, you know each other well, your brother's sick, you send a WhatsApp off to Jesus, it gets two blue ticks, so you know that he read it, Right? And then he doesn't reply. Anyone ever get frustrated when you send a message to a friend or a family member, gets two blue ticks and no one replies? Anyone sitting next to the person that they uh, sometimes send messages to and they get two blue ticks and they don't reply? So, so can you imagine if, if that two blue tick deal is, in, is, is, is like an ignoring in response to the plea for you to save your brother's life? Can you imagine I think that would be quite a big deal. I think to actually see someone that you care about or something that you care about die, and then, and then the person you thought was able to, to save it, to solve it, to resurrect it, comes four days after the death. Guys, I think we'd be in a bit of a state. I think we'd be grieved. I think we'd be angry. I think we'd be feeling all kinds of stuff. And maybe you're sitting here this evening, and if you think beyond physical death, you can think of relationships in your life that have been allowed to die, marriages that have been able to die, dreams that have been able to die, um, hopes in terms of an education or, 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 or a residential status or or a relationship with a parent where you feel like this relationship has been reversed, where you're supposed to be the child, they're supposed to be the parent, but you become the parent, they become the child, and where something that should be a, a different way, it's, it's died. I want us to think broader than just a physical death, because all of us have probably had or have areas in our lives that are dead or dying. And some of them are areas where maybe God's going to speak to us this evening and say, like, you might need to let that thing die because if that dies, something better will come alive. But, but there might be areas, and this is where I want you just to ask God to help you to sense his voice if he wants to give you fresh hope, if he wants to encourage you not to give up on that area, even though it's been dead for four days. You see, death, death is not pretty. Death is not your friend. Death is generally not okay. Death, death is various things. Number one, death is vicious. It's vicious in the sense that death can be cruel. It can be nasty. When you, when you lose something or someone that is valuable to you, when you've had a strong friendship and that person at school has betrayed you and, and spread lies about you behind your back, or, or you thought you were getting a promotion at work and, that, and, and, and people have lied and, and, and you've been misrepresented and that dream has been dashed, it's vicious. It's cruel. It's ugly. It's not, it's not your friend. There's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a, a devastation, a nastiness to that kind of a death. Death is also violent. 
Death has a way of, and, and you see, I don't think we are often very aware of this because I don't think that your average person, and I include your average Christian, is actually in tune with grief and, and, what, it, and what takes place when we experience death. And what can happen is that we can actually get ripped from one form of, from one stage of grief to another stage of grief to another stage of grief, and we are so tempted to want to just escape that and to skim over the surface of what we're feeling. Again, I don't know about you, but I can only tell you, for me, my own life, I've had to come to realize, God has had to point out to me just how cleverly I will try and avoid any negative emotion. I will, I will want to skim over grief. We've, we've had several instances of trauma and loss and grief uh, in our lives, Sue and I, and, and I've come to realize that sometimes just, just wanting to forget about it or feel better or just remove yourself from the pain is not always the right answer. Sometimes, even though it is violent, even though, even though it's, it's dragging you from, from one emotion to another, sometimes God's actually wanting us to, to press into that and to allow a proper healing to, be, to, to actually take place. Because death is also vile. And that's what puts us off, because it's actually gross. So, so with the story of Lazarus, the, the, the stone has to be removed from the cave, and, and everyone's like, Jesus, he's been there for four days. He stinks. Like his body is decomposing. This is going to be, please don't open the grave. And so I think that we're tempted to want to not deal, and, and I'm not talking about going and digging up stuff that we don't need to dig up. That, that's, this is why I'm so, I have prayed so much that in this message you'll hear God because, because you, we could so easily mis, misapply what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to go and dig up stuff that you're not meant to dig up. I'm not asking you to dig up stuff that has, that has been healed and where it's become a scar, which is different to a scab, by the way. But when we have a gaping wound, and that's the difference. When there's a gaping wound and we keep ignoring it, it's going to get infected, right? When there's a scar, you'd be crazy to go and cut that back open again. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about where there's a gaping wound and I try and deny the fact that I'm in pain. I try and deny the fact that something's starting to smell as opposed to being honest about it. And I think for some reason we think that God's uncomfortable with honesty. He's like, I know. Like honesty is not for your, like it's not for my sake, I think God would say. Honesty is for your sake. So it's like going to a doctor and lying to them about your symptoms because you don't want them to think badly of you. And the doctor's like, I can see. Or I can hear. Or I can see the, 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 the results. Like, Let's help you. Guys, that's God's heart. I want to help you. So let's be honest. Let's be honest about the symptoms so that we can try and get down to the real root. So yes, it's vile. Sometimes it stinks. Sometimes you, you want some air freshener, right? But how many of you know if you've ever been to someone's house and someone's, you know, gone to the bathroom and they try and cover it up with some air freshener, like it's not really, it doesn't really help that much, Right? Like, like it can still be gross. And sometimes we need to not just try and, and just mix the smell with some air freshener. Sometimes we need to open a window, get some air into that sucker, right? Or light a match. I don't know. Just do something. And put a sign up saying, out of order for like five minutes. I don't know. Just, but, but sometimes we need to actually bring some light, some air into a situation. Guys, I know that it sucks. 
when you are grieving through pain and loss. Guys, it's hard. And everything in us wants to, and it's not that we're wrong, it's just that it's, it's not the full story. So, so we want to see, we want to trust God, we want to, we want to be healed quickly, we want to be able to move on quickly, but sometimes we're not, we're not actually giving God the time to help us heal and recover, and so we're just claiming a promise while God's saying, no, no, there's a process. I, does this make sense? Some of you have seen Linnell walking around with her uh, crutches. So we went ziplining together. Um, I think it was about a month ago now. And uh, she broke her foot. Um, now, now, Linnell can be like, it's cool, guys, I got this. And carry on walking on that foot. Right? And, and she's believing and she's receiving, and she's declaring, and she's, but guys, God's saying, you need to rest your foot. She's had to put it into a moon boot. She's had to walk on crutches. She's, she has to allow it to rest and recover and rehabilitate and re-strengthen. And I think sometimes we misunderstand that, that believing God's promise means we don't go through the process. And God's like, we need to go through the process. And I actually think that when we go through the process, we are actually stronger. Some of us want to approach life like a leper. And what I mean by that is that lepers, the, 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 the real problem with lepers is that they, they, they don't have feeling. They can't feel pain. So when they have stepped on a nail, they don't know it. For example, or they, or they touch a, a, a hot uh, stove plate, they might not know it. And of course, if they see it, they, you know, they're going to be able to observe but, but if there's something going wrong inside, they don't know it. And so that's why they can land up losing body parts and, and land up getting so sick because they don't have the gift of pain. Some of us want to skim over and rush over pain. And God's saying, you can only experience resurrection life if you will actually experience the death. If you'll be real enough to grieve. And it's not pretty. I'm sorry. Like, this is the bad news part of the message. But it's also the good news because I think that if we will embrace that death, if we will embrace, if, if we will accept um, the loss of this over here, we might allow God to reveal to us the need that's actually deeper, that's, that's actually underlying that thing that we wish we just make us, because then the temptation is, well, okay, well, that feels dead, so God, what can I get to replace it? And, and let's be honest, we live in a day and age, those of you that are maybe over 30 or 40, we, we live in a day and age where it's so much easier to medicate our feelings than what it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's so much easier to escape. We have more, more technology, more distractions than ever before. Um, we have convenience stores conveniently around the corner, like never before. Like, you can eat yourself into a coma if you want to. You can... Anyway, I'm going to go, guys, we can do so much to escape. And I think that sometimes God's saying, no, 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 no. And until we are willing to actually accept that, that death to some extent, we won't be open to his resurrection power. So if, that's, if, if those are some of the, the truths about death that is vicious, violent, vile, then I want to take a look at some other truths about Jesus' death in a moment. But just before we go further, let's read verse 18. Bethany was only a few 
miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, hey, gosh, she's honest with Jesus. But then look at the next verse. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I want to encourage you that even though her brother had been dead for four days, there was still a sense in her that even now, even now if you want to, like you can, you can raise him back to life. And I want to say to you, even, even if there's an area in your life, but, but I mean like, like an underlying area that you feel is dying, I'm telling you, it's not too late. As long as you're alive, if it's God's will, God can breathe new life into that area. I'm not promising you any kind of quick fix. I'm not saying that he can restore a marriage that, that, that's long gone. I mean, I mean if, if it's his will, he can work in you. And if the other person's willing to be worked in, it takes two people, then sure, that's possible. But I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to be the answer. But if we will recognize the need beneath the need. So, so we want the relationship, but actually underneath all of it, there's a belonging that is desire. There's, 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 a, there's a need to be loved. There's a need for relationship. Even though that has been dead, I believe that God can still breathe new life into that. Verse 20, uh, 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Like, like all she could see was, yo, yo, I know it'll all be okay eventually. And again, some of us, especially those of us who have lived a little bit longer, we know, like, we're like, okay, 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 God, I know, like, okay. It'll be okay in the end, and there's like no, we don't even want to dare to hope that God will do something now. And I think that Jesus is trying to say to, no, 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 this isn't just for eternity, this is for now. This is for your journey. Like, like there's actually power available to you now. And then he goes on to make his very powerful, very well-known statement. Verse 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Believe, believe, believe. Jesus is trying to get us to believe that this resurrection power, this life is available today, no matter what the circumstances around you are looking like. You might have a dream for the future, and it looks like all the circumstances are saying it's impossible, but if God, if it's God's will and God wants to bless you, God is more than able. So let me tell you a few things about Jesus' death. Number one, Jesus' death was voluntary. It was voluntary. No one took Jesus' life away from him. Jesus gave his life. He laid his life down for us. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was love that kept Jesus on the cross. Jesus loved us so much that even though he could have called on um, a legion of angels to come and rescue him, even though he could have, in the drop of a head, um, demanded that he be released, Jesus chose to stay there for us. Guys, that, that level of value that he placed on us, that he would voluntarily take our place, that should give us an incredible sense of security and confidence in him. Secondly, Jesus' death was vicarious. To live vicariously generally means for us to live through other people. 
But in this case, Jesus did something on our behalf. I think Sue mentioned it a few weeks ago that Jesus didn't just die for us. Jesus died as us. So, so Jesus became us. He became our sin on the cross. He, he took on our appearance. He took on all of our filth, all of, all of the, 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 the sin that we had committed. And, and he endured the wrath that was owed to us so that if we accept that, that when Jesus looks at us, sorry, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. You might even be sitting here this evening saying, like, I've screwed up again. I can't, like, am I really that serious about God? God, I, I shouldn't even be here tonight. And I think God looks at you and says, I see Jesus. And, and some of us get nervous with that kind of language because we're thinking, well, then won't we just take advantage? And won't we just take it for granted? And I'm saying, I actually don't think we will if we really understand the price that he paid for us. If we really understand that, that, that that's how it works, that, that, that God sees Jesus when he sees us because he saw us when he saw Jesus, that he really took my place. Like, again, if we understand what we really deserved and what we got instead, you won't want to take advantage of that. No ways. If you do, then I'll tell you right now, you haven't had a revelation of that outrageous love that, that was poured out for us. Guys, there's no way. There's no way that your heart can be melted with that grace and, and want to just abuse it. And walk all over it. He, he took our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. He made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering. To be an offering. Like, like this is using Old Testament language, where you would take an animal and you would slaughter it, and you would, and you would let it bleed out, and you would put it on the altar, and... And, and it would become this offering in our place. Guys, like there's, again, there's a brutality, there's a viciousness, there's a violence to this death. But he, he took that in our place so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus' death was voluntary, it was vicarious, and lastly, it was victorious. Jesus conquered death. Jesus went into the grave to get us out of it. The, the crazy thing is, is he's done it all. When he offers resurrection power, it's just a matter of whether or not we're going to receive it, whether or not we're going to take it. But he's saying it's there. I'm, he's, he's saying, I am, resur- I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who comes to me. Guys, he's, he's give, he gives us the option, so it's our choice whether or not we're going to actually receive that victory. So even as Sue was saying earlier, when, when the enemy comes against you and tries to deceive you and lie to you and he takes an element of truth, so you have done something and he takes that and he twists it and he makes it the whole thing, you're able to say, no, hold on a second. The power of sin has been broken in my life. Jesus died in my place and God, I'm not okay with that. I don't want to abuse that. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to, but, but I'm not going to try and add to that. I am only saved by your grace. Thank you that I am forgiven. God, thank you that I am still your child. I don't stop being your child because I'm not perfect. Thank you that you run to the repentant. Thank you that 1 John 1 verse 9 says that if we, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. God, thank you that I am clean. Thank you that I am forgiven. Thank you that I can try again. Thank you that I can live a life of victory because Jesus was victorious over death. Guys, it's good news. It is good news. And so I want the worship team to come on up. And in a moment, I'm going to get you to stand. And, and while, I'm, while 
while you're standing in a moment, not right now, I want you to open yourself up to God. And again, this is such a sensitive, tricky question because because I really don't want it to be something that I'm saying to you. And I don't want it just to be an emotional, subjective thing where, where it's just wishful thinking. I really want us to try and hear God. Is there any area of our lives where the Holy Spirit is tapping us on the shoulder and saying, I want you to hope again. I want you to believe again. Where, where we are so tempted to, to, to rather feel numb because feeling numb is better than feeling pain. But maybe he's saying, I know it's a risk to hope again because maybe you'll be disappointed. I know it's a risk to, to love again or to open yourself to being loved or to open yourself to dreaming again about the future or about that course you want to study or about that relationship that you want to restore. I, 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 know, I know that it is risky to hope again, but if it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us, is it possible, is it possible that God would say to us like Jesus said to Martha, like, this isn't just for eternity, this is now. Yes, yes, he'll be raised in eternity, but but I want to raise him now. I want to do something in your life now. So Christianity and salvation is, a significant part of it is about eternity. But God isn't only wanting to affect our eternity. He wants to affect our now. So won't you stand with me, please? And let me just read two more passages to you before we pray. Romans 8 verse 11 in the message version. And by the way, just interesting note. The gentleman that wrote the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson, some of you'd be aware of the paraphrase and, and maybe familiar with Eugene Peterson. He also went to be with Jesus about two weeks ago. Also uh, in his 80s, lived a long life. And, and it, was, it was quite something reading the stories of his family, talking about the sense of joy and peace that he had, even with a bit of dementia, like how there was still this peace and this joy as he was entering into what the Bible calls an eternal rest. Like, yeah. Anyway, so Romans 8 verse 11, the message version. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing your life to himself. Think about that. He'll do the same thing in you. If you'll allow him to move into your life, he will do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. What did he do in Jesus? Well, he raised him back to life from the dead. Is he wanting to raise something in your life back to life? When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, by the way, as surely as he did in Jesus, then you are delivered from that dead life. You don't have to stay in that dead life. And lastly, let me reread John 11 verse 25, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? My goal is to get you to believe. To believe that He is the resurrection and the life. That He wants to breathe fresh life, fresh hope, fresh joy, fresh peace, maybe even a fresh dream into your life. So won't you close your eyes for a moment? Because I'd love for you just to give God a chance to confirm anything that He might be saying to you.
And in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And while we sing that song, I hope that you'll allow God just to keep perhaps emphasizing or ministering to or watering that word. But we also want to give you the opportunity to have someone just pray with you. Just the, I don't know, sometimes, you don't always have to do this because you can pray by yourself. But sometimes there's just something significant about us actually saying something out loud. So actually actually asking someone to pray with us. It's, it's almost like a confession, really. I feel like I need to, and you actually, you're going to confess it, declare it. I need to trust God again for this relationship. Or I need to trust God again for my health. I've been sick for so long, I've given up even asking God. Or I need to trust God again with this dream that I, that I think maybe He actually placed in my heart.